to the Full Stack Journey podcast, where we talk about the ongoing evolution of the IT professional. Our goal is to help equip and prepare listeners for their journey of learning across the full stack of technologies in today's data centers and cloud environments. If you're wondering why Scott Lowe sounds different, it's because I'm Drew Connery-Murray. Uh, Scott Lowe is on vacation, so I've stepped in for this episode. He'll be back for the next one. Uh, today, we're talking about PyATS. PyATS is a Python testing framework typically used for network testing. And our guest to explain all things PyATS is John Capobianco. John is developer advocate for Cisco training boot camps and a proponent of Python and automation in general. Uh, John, welcome to the podcast. And first, I want to make sure I am pronouncing it correctly. It is PyATS. Yes, that was the, uh, I learned that the hard way. And that's sort of my introductory story that um, <laughs> for a few months, I was calling it Payats and, uh, you know, everywhere I went and then, um, you know, gracefully Cisco, some of the developers who actually, and it's funny, this is how I'll tell the story, but how I got introduced to it. They're actually in Ottawa, some of the developers, or they were, mm -hmm. and um, they reached out and said, you know, we, we love your enthusiasm and everything you're sharing, but it's Pi ATS, if you could just maybe get the name <laughs> right. So definitely, yes, and it's an acronym for Automatic uh, Testing System. So Python uh, okay. Automatic Testing System. Yeah. Got it. Okay. I was also thinking maybe we should call it Payatis because it sounds kind of like Pilates and you can build a strong <laughs> automation core, but, uh, you know, maybe you can propose that and see what Cisco thinks. Well, I, I, it's funny. I'm not the only one. I've heard other people even internally at Cisco kind of affectionately call it just crib, call it Payats. And I, uh, I've really tried to break the habit, especially with my Canadian accent. I really dragged that Yats. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll stick with the official pronunciation for this episode, at least. So I mentioned uh, in the intro that it's a Python testing framework, but let's dig into that a little more. What is uh, PyATS typically used for? Yeah, so it, it's typically, as the name suggests, used for testing. And that can be, you know, network state testing, network configuration testing, uh, intent testing. Um, I believe it can go much further than that. And, there, and we could talk about that, the details of it. But it can also be used for configuration management, um, for differentials, um, and another thing I want to mention is that even though it has Python in the name, it actually sort of has several modes of operation. Think, think of it as a framework. It really is a framework similar to how React is a framework for you know, JavaScript or how um, Django is a framework for Python. It's meant to abstract things and make it easier for you in Python. But there's two kind of other modes of operation I'll mention just to kind of ease into it. Mm -hmm. It has a command line interface. So there are some restrictions. You, it needs to be either in Linux or Mac. It doesn't run on Windows, but if you're in Windows, you can have the Windows subsystem for Linux and Ubuntu as an image, as an example, mm -hmm. where you can access PyTS on your Windows machine locally. Um, it has a command line. So really you just, you would make a virtual, I would recommend you make a virtual Python environment. You pip install PyTS full in square brackets. And, and then, and we'll talk about this later, as long as you have a valid test bed or a way to make a test bed dynamically, um, you can start using the command line to say things like PyTS learn BGP dash dash test bed file testbed.yaml or PyTS parse show IP interface brief parse CDP neighbors or show CDP neighbors show CDP neighbor detail parse show license. So no Python involved. Um, you do need a testbed file, which is YAML mm -hmm. as a foundational tool if you're using a static file. 
But aside from that, you can just start using it at the command line. Now, the other mode of operation is something known as quick triggers, um, shorthand known as blitz. Now, blitz is a YAML abstraction or implementation of PyETS. So if you're not familiar with Python at all, but let's say you, maybe you've done some Ansible, which is YAML-based, or other YAML-based frameworks, you can actually call the PyETS libraries through YAML, which is just structured text, right? Uh -huh. There's no real programming involved there. It's just structured text. And there's documentation on this implementation called Blitz. So sort of two ways to get you started, even without any Python. But I, I'm really, you know, partial to the Python implementation of it. Yeah, so I want to make sure we clarify that this PyATS is a Python package. Yes, so it is, I guess, typically meant to be used with Python? Yes, it's a, it's a Python package that you can pip install, and then you can import certain aspects of it into your Python script. Now, when you do it this way, I would recommend that you use something called jobs. So PyTS jobs has two files, your Python script, where your logic is, where you're going to write your tests or your configuration or whatever you're going to do Pythonically. And then this concept of a job file that handles abstraction of loading your test bed and loading your script and making it easy to access your devices and easy to access the PyTS framework when you execute a job. Jobs have options like sending the summary of the logs into WebEx with a couple of flags. Um, you can, um, when you run a job at the end of the job, you have a log viewer, which is an HTML log viewer of the summary of your job. And it makes it as easy as saying in your Python script, testbed.connect. And now boom, you're connected to all your devices. And then you can start to say things Pythonically like testbed.parse, and then within the function at the brackets of the method, send it the show IP interface brief command you want to parse. And now that variable has JSON back parsed of that show command or learn in the function you want to learn interfaces or config. Um, you can do a variety of things. You can do dot configure and push configurations to the device. Mm -hmm. Now I'm mentioning this. The other thing I want to mention, maybe I should back up a step is that there's kind of two modes of operation in terms of connecting to devices or connecting to things, let's say with PyTS. You can connect with SSH mm -hmm. and, and that's going to use sort of those traditional either show commands or configuration commands. And that's probably the predominant way it's used. I'm trying to maybe highlight and evangelize that with a REST connector and you just pip install rest.connector on top of PyTS, and it's all documented under PyTS, you can connect through something like device.connect, or excuse me, device.get, or um, a rest.post from your testbed, and your testbed might have your NSO server, your appliance, your APIC in your data center for ACI. Mm -hmm. um, there's there's 12 or 15 of your, your if, if you let's say you want to use RESTConf with iOS XE instead of SSH, um, you can use the REST connector and, and start dealing with the Yang models for iOS XE RESTConf as an example. So why, so would, I just wanna, why would I want to do that as opposed to SSHing into a device? 
Well, I, I think there's some advantages. And as we move closer to, to model-based and intent-based, right, um, we, we can explore, we can use something like Yang Suite from Cisco, another open source free tool to explore the Yang model and get the API we want, say for banners or NTP server or something. Uh -huh. We can get the API and then use rest.post to update it or put or patch or get. So if you it's faster for one, it's definitely faster using the API versus waiting for your device to connect over SSH and sure. log in and sure. parse the command. And it's sort of instantaneous with the API system. Um, it's also like immutable and item potent and has all those benefits, a natural benefits of a REST API over, let's say, a command line. But this would also imply then that the device I want to connect to is REST enabled or has an API either has an API or has the connector in the suite. So something like um, APIC or um, yes, so that it has a connector in the suite or has an API. The other thing more broadly speaking is even outside of our traditional networking ecosystem, right, where we're gonna SSH in or, or use RESTConf or an API, you can use the request library and get any JSON from anywhere, right? You could, you could go against the Pokemon API in a PyETS job and test if their strength is greater than 50 and fail the test if it's less than 50. You know what I mean? It could literally be a, because of the beauty of it, that it's Python and that it's a package, we can interact with any other Python package. Let's say you wanted to use the Meraki SDK or the Cobra SDK. Well, you just import the Pyth the PyETS libraries that you need. And now you can start testing against SDK JSON from Python, right? Mm -hmm. Or, or requests library JSON. So it's very flexible because it is Python, right? So I think that's something we need to clarify that even though this was developed by Cisco, they are working within Python and you know following the way Python works so that it can work with other packages as well, as you mentioned. So this isn't yes. some kind of proprietary extension to Python. No, no, totally free. You can just pip install it and start using it as a testing framework agnostically or as it's sort of meant to be a network automation framework and testing toolkit, right? So it has the built-in functions to connect to devices over SSH or REST, gather the information, test it, pass or fail the test. It has a nice reporting system. But again, you can literally use this as a, as a substitute for PyTest if you've, if you've been doing basic Python testing, or if you wanna test anything at all, it's a wonderful testing framework. It's, it's, it's sort of agnostic to Cisco, certainly. You can test Junos, you can test Linux, you can test anything you want, really. Okay, so it's, I think that was another point I wanted to make sure we covered. This is not just for Cisco network devices. You mentioned Junos, I assume other network operating systems as well, uh, Arista, Extreme, others? It's a limited number. It's not every single platform, but but Junos is in there. Mm -hmm. uh, Linux is in there. Okay. There are a few other. Um, a good majority of the Cisco platforms beyond just iOS XE, right? There's NXOS, there's XR, mm -hmm. there's the connectors for all of the API systems. But if you had something like an Arista, you could use its APIs and get the JSON out of it you know, through its natural mechanisms and, and still test it with PyETS. You know, it's not just because there aren't necessarily parsers pre-written for other operating systems, provided you can get their, their J, JavaScript object notation into your Python script somehow, 
you could still test it with PyETS. Got it. Okay. Uh, what about some of the uh, open source uh, network RSS, Sonic, um, Dent, any of those, do you know? There is Linux, Junos, SROS, mm -hmm. Big IP. So there's F5 parsers, uh, Viptela, APIC for ACI and DNA Center, and Ironware. So that's the exhaustive list of all of the parsers that, and, when, and, and, and I'm specifically talking about parsers in that example. Got it. Okay. And that SROS, is that the Nokia? Because I think that's Linux based. I think you're right. Yes. Okay. Okay. That's a good overview of PyATS. There's also, I think, uh, an important component we need to also talk about, which is Genie. Can you talk about Genie's relationship to PyATS and, and how it's used? I believe that moving forward or as of a certain point, and, and it's still, it's hard to update every single document everywhere across Cisco. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's, I would call that legacy terminology and I would refer to it as the PyATS libraries okay. or the PyATS framework. And the framework is sort of what I've been talking about, um, the Python decorators for testing, the, the jobs, the framework with, that incorporates the test beds and loading the test beds. And then the, 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 um, the parsers and models are part of the libraries. Okay, so Genie so, is a set of libraries I can use with PyATS. Correct, correct. So when you're doing parsing, for example, that, that CLI example of parse this show command into JavaScript, that would be calling the Genie library for show IP interface brief. Okay, but for folks getting into this, they don't necessarily have to worry about Genie. Just think of when they think Genie, think library. Think of it as part of PyETS that's sort of been rebranded and re, re, the terminology has changed. Okay. Um, the documentation may take some time to, to catch up to that. But um, now one thing about Genie, it's funny, that's where I sort of, my off-ramp from Ansible started was using within Ansible playbooks, um, filters that let you bring in outside code and I was bringing in the genie parsers to parse show commands into JSON within Ansible using the genie libraries as filters. So genie libraries are open to other ecosystems and other automation frameworks, not just PyETS. But that was sort of, then I thought to myself, well, I'm already using the parsing library from PyETS. Why don't I try to adopt the framework now? And that's sort of what led me to moving into PyETS uh, away from Ansible. Okay, a couple more PyETS basics before we move on. Uh, yes. First, um, I, it's, I know it's developed by Cisco. Is it open or open source? And how would I get access to it? Do I have to have like a DevNet account or is it just available? So it is, it is um, not fully open source, but you can contribute to it. That's probably the best way I can explain it. You can. Let's say a show command does not have a parser and you're kind of bummed because you want that show command to give you JSON back from a parser. Mm -hmm. Well, there's guides and how to's on how you could write that parser, contribute it and submit it as a request through GitHub. And then it would make the next release if it passes all the testing internally into PyTS. Now the PyTS source code itself is not available or open, but you can become a contributor to the code, if that makes sense. Yep, that does make sense. Okay. Uh, now, now you said GitHub, is that where I would get PyETS if I wanted to use it? So it's on PyPy, where you would pip install PyETS and then in square brackets full, if you want the full 
uh, installation package. There are some other installation modes, but I recommend anyone getting started to pip install PyTS open square bracket, full closed square bracket as your command inside of a new virtual environment. Okay. But I don't need any kind of license. I don't have to give Nothing, away emails nope. or anything. Nothing. Not a thing. Nope. Okay. Great. Um, so we also mentioned, you mentioned earlier, uh, the concept of a test bed. And I think that's core here to PyATS. What, what is meant by a test bed in, in a PyATS context? So we've all used tools. I'm going to just mention PuTTY, right? You've used PuTTY to SSH into a device and you can save your sessions in PuTTY where you put the IP address and maybe the credentials or some other things, right? Mm -hmm. um, or secure CRT or whatever you've used as your tool. You typically save your connections so that later you don't have to type it all in again. You can just sort of double click it. I give that analogy of transforming that into a YAML file with a little bit more information. Mm -hmm. So what this testbed file does, it, it has the host name of the device, the IP address, the credentials, the port, the IP address, I think I mentioned that. Um, or like if you're using REST to connect to it, the REST information. So mm -hmm. there's different types of test beds. And that's what lets you at the CLI just run the parsing command or the learn command and you pass it the test bed. And then you could pass it an individual device from that test bed if you had multiple or hundreds of devices in a test bed. Now, that job file I mentioned, you're going to specifically load that test file in the job file so that your script can dot connect into it and start to use it. A couple other things about test beds that are interesting, um, and I think there's no order here of importance, but one, you can extend them. So what I, now if anyone's done Ansible or read my book about intent-based networking using intent and YAML, those test beds, you can extend it. So what I would recommend is you have a core testbed.yaml file with your connection information, your basics of the device and, and what a standard testbed would look, would look like. Those same devices, you can clone that testbed file and call it you know, extended testbed and have things under maybe a custom field, your domain name, your NTP server, um, each of your interfaces and their descriptions and IP addresses, any routes you want on it, any access control lists, right? You can build up your intent in this YAML file and then use pyts.configure or .tests or, you know, testing to either see if your intent matches what's running on the device, right? Do a differential or a comparison between what you have in your intent and what's actually running on the device and then pass or fail the test. Or just go ahead and configure the device from your intent with Jinja 2 or something, templating. Um, the other thing I'll mention, in the documentation, they really stress that this PyTS YAML, or excuse me, this testbed.yaml file is the best way to, to do it. It's actually kind of cheeky, their documentation about it. I personally feel the opposite way, and I've sort of argued with them about this. Mm -hmm. PyTS testbeds can be built dynamically at runtime in Python, meaning you can have maybe input prompts in your Python script and the user answers the operating system and the IP address and the you know, device name or whatever. Or maybe you already have DNA center or a spreadsheet, an Excel file or a net box or whatever, right? Maybe you already have a source of truth and you think to yourself, 
really, I've got to build this YAML file from my, you know, from scratch and mm-hmm. repeat all this work. Mm-hmm. Well, not necessarily. You can fill in the fields at runtime dynamically and load that CSV file in as your source of truth or API call to NetBox to get the information or whatever you want. So for the more advanced people, you're not limited to just this static YAML file. In some of my Django work, for example, I have a model of the device in my Postgres SQL database, which I let the administrator populate. And then my script dynamically builds my test bed from API calls to Postgres. Okay. So a lot of ways to build that test bed and, and fill in, create that YAML file, populate that YAML file. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or, or maybe you know, like I don't actually build a YAML file and save it. I can actually just, at runtime, fill in the IP address and OS and all that stuff. So yes, but but you get the idea. There's multiple ways to handle that PyTS um, testbed file. Okay. So let's assume I have all those things in place now. What kind of things can I do with PyTS? Can you give me some common examples how it's being used? So here's where I can really sort of maybe get on my soapbox. Network (laughs) automation. (laughs) Network automation sort of struggles from adoption rates and getting started and Mm -hmm. management is the risk involved. I think people conflate network automation with change management or configuration management. Certainly. Somehow somehow we have to change the network to make automation worthwhile. Right. I feel like testing and documentation, and they can be achieved at the same time. And I'll explain that through PyETS is the perfect place to start. So, Here's, a, here's an, an example. I've talked about parsing stuff. So why don't we parse, or let's say we could learn interfaces, but for the interest of a show command, let's parse show interfaces. And you know how much counters and all this great stuff about each interface we get back. Well, Pythonically, I can loop over each interface and examine each of those counters and say, CRC errors, uh, input discards, output discards, um, uh, buffer overruns, you know, all these, like there's probably 17 or 20 individual fields we could test on against a threshold of say zero. So my threshold is zero. And if CRC errors is greater than my threshold, fail the test. Now, how many people out there have thousands of interfaces and, 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 you know, little to no tool that will tell you things like input discards or CRC errors at scale, right? Mm-hmm. You could easily start here. You're not changing anything. You're making a quick connection, running a show command and interrogating the fields and testing it. So now we can start cleaning up our network with testing at scale to go hunt down interfaces with bad cables, interfaces with high discards, interfaces with maybe half duplex. How many half duplex ports? Ask yourself that question. Think about it. Are there any half duplex ports? lingering around on my enterprise. Mm-hmm. Are there any ports with a high number of, with CRC errors greater than zero across my enterprise, right? Like, so those are some real low hanging fruit to start testing. Now, here's some other ideas. You can parse the config as well. So maybe, how do I know if RESTConf is enabled or if IPHTTP secure server is enabled or maybe if Telnet is enabled or, All those things in a configuration we might want to test. Right. We can do that Pythonically, go get the running config, test it for a bunch of stuff and pass or fail and give me a good, nice report. And now, you know, 10 out of 15 devices are passing and I have five devices 
with concerns that have automated that interrogation. I haven't had to log in anything and run show commands and dump it out to the text file and then read through the text file and try to hunt down errors or hunt down half duplex or whatever it is we're doing, right? Mm -hmm. And you've also done this across multiple devices simultaneously, not having to log into each one individually to find those things. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And then you can start to find hotspots in your network. What devices are failing multiple tests? What interfaces specifically are failing tests? Where do I need to pay my attention to? Now, I'm going to follow that up with configuration. We can do dot configure. So the nice thing about what I like about PyTS is it's sort of like this choose your own adventure of pass fail. So I'm going to interrogate something. And if it passes, I can take actions. If it fails, I can take actions Mm -hmm. before I ultimately say dot failed and end the test and fail the test. I can say, send a WebEx alert, open up a ServiceNow ticket, uh, right? All through API calls, make a nice orchestrated CI/CD pipeline, send an email, send a WebEx, uh, open up a ticket. Um, Now with dot configure, I can actually do things. Maybe this port doesn't have a description on it. Okay, run CDP neighbor, get the neighbor's descript, um, you know, neighbor's interface and build the description from it. So now you do that dynamically across your whole network, right? Go get every interface. And if it's not shut and it doesn't have a description, get its neighbor if it has one and fill in the description, right? And using that Telnet example, could you look for all the devices where Telnet is active? And then run a configuration to to disable. Okay. Uh And then can I run a test then to double check that and make sure it's actually not responding? (laughs) Loop it again. Yes. Yes. It's it's turtles all the way down, right? Uh So Uh test something, remediate it, test it again, or do some things or retest it or run new tests. Um, A couple of thoughts. Just on the, do you mind if we just maybe take a segue here into test-driven development? Because it's a good topic. Yeah, go for it. So software development, right? In, in, so I know I've done a lot of research for this for my Cisco Live presentation, which I urge you to sign up for. There's limited space. <laughs> it's called <laughs> Test-Driven Automation <laughs> with PyETS. And um, so test-driven automation comes out of extreme programming from 1999. And, 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 and Kent Beck, I believe his name is. I think that's right. He was one of the first 17 signatures on the Agile Manifesto. Mm-hmm. So if anyone doesn't know about the Agile Manifesto, look it up. 17 of the top people in the world got together and tried to come up with a manifesto on how to do software programming better, which led to Agile. One of the sub sort of trees is test-driven development. Now, why I like this, because it fits perfectly with network automation with PyETS, where we write a test that fails, right? So... Let's say I have an interface with CRC errors. I can write a test against that and say, is it you know, greater than zero, fail it. It fails. So now I can clear counters and retest it and it should pass, right? If it's zero, mm-hmm. that's the idea is write a test that fails and small little units, like exactly what I said, CRC errors on an interface. Okay, now another small unit test might be discards on an interface and we keep iterating and we build this suite of tests that constantly runs and every time we just add a new test rerun all previous tests Uh so what i've seen um done is something like test and see if a feature is enabled and if it's not enable it and then test 
like you said, Telnet, right? Right. In that case, it would be disable it and then prove that it's disabled. Right. And then retest it, right? Mm -hmm. One other form of testing you can do with PyETS is connectivity testing. And I, I always seem to overlook this or fail to mention this. You can actually do ping testing mm -hmm. and pick your source and all that stuff. And it will give you the JSON back with the average maximum minimum response times, if there was a response, how many pings succeeded in the percentage. So now you can say, ping this IP from this loopback and if the success rate is less than 100, fail to test and do some things, right? Mm -hmm. So it's really powerful, especially with connectivity testing. Yeah. Now, when you when people talk about testing, that's immediately what I think of. Is this device up? Is it responding? You know, what kind of performance am I getting? But it also sounds like there's a lot more I can do as well, including updating, changing configurations. Absolutely. Yes, that's that is correct. And and um, you know, I, I think. Think of it this way, brownfield or greenfield. Brownfield, there's going to be heavy testing, probably little configuration management. Yep. Greenfield's going to be heavy configuration management with moderate testing as you go. So there's different applications for this and it fits in different ways. Uh, I just want to mention that that it, you know, configuration management maybe isn't where you want to start in a brownfield. Start right. with the testing and the right. documentation. Yes. And then, right, so... And I think that's an issue with why automation has had such a hard time taking hold in the networks because we are dealing with brownfield environments and people immediately think configuration and think I don't want to automate I don't want to automate a problem that then makes me lose my job. So this seems like good good low stakes introduction to playing with some automation with this kind of, you know, basic testing. Yeah, and I think that as low as the stakes are, I think the value and the outcomes are just as high. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like it's a huge, huge return on investment, this, right. this, this idea of testing right. and starting with testing, right? Mm -hmm. So it sounds like I can get a lot of information from these tests. How do I keep track of results? Where are results stored? Uh, what am I, am I, I, one of the things people also have issues with automation is that you can get this sort of fire hose of information that kind of overwhelms you. So how do I prevent that from happening? It's a great point. And to me, again, um, as someone who's used quite a few tools, one of the things that I think shines about PyETS is, is at the end of the job, it will actually say, um, you know, did you know there's a log view or something to that effect? Mm -hmm. And you type in PyETS logs view. Now, this spins up its own little Apache server with a dynamic color-coded HTML web page with all of your logs from that local host mm -hmm. and the pass-fail results and a window with the console logging output from those results. So those results can be stored locally on each host as you're running the jobs. Mm -hmm. Alternatively, and we could probably have a whole different discussion on this, there's a tool called Expresso, X, capital P, Resso, <laughs> Expresso. Mm -hmm. That is free from Cisco, just like PyETS. It's a Docker implementation that, that let's say we start having success with their PyETS jobs, but now I want to schedule them mm -hmm. and, or now I want to orchestrate them to run in a specific order if I have multiple tests or multiple jobs. Expresso is that dashboard and that GUI-based orchestration system that then centralizes all the logs from all of the jobs and all of the output. So if you're starting to think, how do I take PyETS from sort of, I don't want to say 
homegrown scripts or like, you know, like how do I make it enterprise grade Right to cross that threshold? I believe that's what Espresso will enable you to do. Um, orchestrate and schedule and log and report. And it ties into Jenkins and it ties into other CICD pipeline systems. Um, the other thing I'll mention on results, and this is my own personal thing, my own personal preference, because it's Python, we can import a couple of tools and I'll give you some options here. We'll start with the simple one. We can import tabulate, which makes you allows you to make tables in Python output. Uh-huh. Right, so you build your table and say print table and it gives you a nice table and output. What I like to do is when I test something like, let's say interfaces, I like to build a table that has my interface, the threshold, say zero, the result, and whether or not it passed or failed the test as a table. Now, because I can log that into PyETS logging, when I go to my HTML log viewer, it's part of my console logs. Now, something to build on that, and I, I swapped out tabulate eventually for rich. So if you're not familiar with rich for Python, it lets you use colors and do really incredible stuff with tables. So now I start to have color-coded tables where the word pass might be green and the word fail might be red uh-huh. inside of my table. And that is all inside of my logs now. Just a way to enhance your experience and your output is to take the use of the ability to import tape, um, Python packages like Rich. And if I've got an existing log store, can I export test results to that log store as well? Um, I think so. Or if you have like an Apache server, you could easily move over the HTML pages from these logs and host them somewhere centrally. There's a few options there, yes. Okay. And also your results, if you do like... If you had a WebEx token and a room or an email, you could send the results um, to WebEx directly right from the command line to run the job. Mm-hmm. It's like dash dash WebEx dash token and then your token and then your WebEx email or room ID. Mm-hmm. And that will send it right into WebEx as well. Okay. Because I'm thinking if I'm doing these tests and I'm doing things like, you know, a security related example, like a telnet, I might want to be able to prove to management or an auditor or so on that I've done these checks and here are the results. And so I, I want to be able to, to find them, be able to search logs, do all that kind of thing. So, okay. So we didn't coordinate at all in this, right? <laughs> no, we didn't. You, you, you can attest to that. Okay, I so can attest. This, I just threw okay. this question at you out of the blue. <laughs> so PyETS, and this is probably the most little known feature, even though I made a YouTube video about it and I love it. And I talk about it quite a bit. You can actually record your PyETS job. And, and what I mean by that is, so PyETS, if, if you don't change anything about it, it will actually show you the logs of you connecting and you running the show command and the raw command, mm-hmm. and then the results of each test. Like the logs are verbose. Mm-hmm. Well, you can actually record it. And then that recording can be played back. And you can even change the speed of the playback. So to your point of an audit, or even like, what if I'm running these jobs at two in the morning and I want to watch the, the watch the job in the morning, or yeah. if I want to use it for training or to attach to close an RFC or a ticket, right? We can record the entire job and then play it back. So you could say to the auditor, well, play playback job X123 or playback job March 16th. 2023 2 a.m. job mm-hmm. and they could actually watch it go from start to finish as a recording and a playback. 
Okay. Now, if that didn't blow you away enough, those recordings, let's say we parse the a couple of things. We can record whatever we want. And one thing we could record is let's say the state of, a, of an iOS XE device. Okay, just as an example. Mm -hmm. So we learn everything about that through a bunch of commands and we record that. We can then use mock devices and generate a mock device that has built itself from the output of all those commands you gathered. And that mock device actually has a CLI that you can log into and run show commands and stuff. <sighs> so you can build offline models of your devices that actually have a working CLI. <sighs> okay, that's interesting. So I think I sort of know your answer to this. I'm going to ask anyway, do you see Pi ATS as kind of, you know, just a one-off tool I'd use now and then for specific circumstances or something that I would incorporate into a tool chain, a CI, CD pipeline, an orchestration framework? Well, I, I see it as, as really either. I would be happy if anyone used it in any capacity. Um, I think it fits very nicely in CI, CD pipelines. I like the idea of delivering something to maybe a virtual environment, maybe CML, or maybe a lab, testing the heck out of it, right, mm -hmm. with PyETS. And then depending on those results, move into the next gate, which might be pushed to production, and then run those same tests against production. Uh, it fits very nicely in that CICD pipeline idea. But it also could be used as a standalone tool just to say, you know, how's the health of my network as a 24-hour standalone utility that I, you know, I, I've come up with a hundred tests that I believe if they all pass, that my network is healthy. And if some of them fail, then I've pinpointed failures on the device or maybe even right down to the interface, right? Mm -hmm. Does PyATS integrate with other tools? I, I heard Ansible mentioned uh, NetBox, if you're doing source of truth, could I do something like if I'm if I decide to use PyATS for configuration, I make a change, then I want NetBox to go and, you know, update its own information about that device. Can that happen? Oh, it, it really fits in nicely because of its ability to, to incorporate uh, API systems external to it. So mm -hmm. it, it really can fit in with, with almost anything. It's, it's agentless and it's not something that you would run directly on a host. Right. Um, I've tried the whole... Um, application hosting thing. Could I put PyTS inside of a container and run it in application hosting locally? That didn't work out, but um, you can run it in containers as well. So you can build most of my Docker or most of my PyTS solutions. I tend to build up into a Docker container so it's portable and so that people can use it with little friction, right? They just have to bring up the container and then the PyTS kind of does its job. It, it works nicely with Jenkins, obviously, because of the whole testing idea, mm -hmm. uh, GitLab or GitHub or GitActions. Um, it's very versatile. Yeah. It's again, it's sort of that aspect of they want it to be a framework and, and, and sort of set minimal guidelines and then let you use it as you see fit. Okay. If I'm a network engineer and I'm kind of new to automation, where would you advise I put PyATS sort of on my priority list for learning? And second, besides Python, are there other prerequisites I might want to be comfortable with before diving into PyATS? 
I'll, I'll kind of maybe address those in reverse order. So sure. you're you're going to need sort of that standard modern network engineers toolkit, right? VS Code. If you don't, if you've never used an IDE, somewhere to write your code. All of the extensions that help you write your code for VS Code. Okay. Uh, Ubuntu and VS uh, uh, WSL two. If you're Windows, you're going to need those. Um, Git. It's for version and source control because you're going to be writing code. Mm-hmm. How to properly handle your security. So one thing we didn't mention in that test bed, you're going to have credentials. Right. And that should be a big red flag for everybody that, right. well, how do I safely handle my credentials? Now you could use, because it's just a YAML file. If you're comfortable with Ansible Vault, you could do that. You mm-hmm. could use Terraform's Vault. I'd like to use something called Secret Strings, which PyTS has a written document on how you can use secret strings. It's about seven steps to encrypt your password in your testbed file, for example. Okay. It is documented. If you Google PyTS secret strings, it will take you to that article on how to secure your testbed files credentials. Okay. But you also said Terraform Vault, Ansible Vault, those. Well, you, you could use, right, whatever security mechanism to properly handle your testbed credentials be okay. very careful about that because that is your login into your router or whatever right right, <laughs> right? so we Don't have want to that be sitting there in clear text for anyone to see correct be very careful i i would hate anyone to, to get in any trouble or have to go change all your enable secrets or passwords <laughs> because you leave you know because the first thing you did was make a testbed file and committed it into your github main for everyone to see be okay. very careful about this, right? I, I hope you've listened to the end of this episode, yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, but but I mean, so there are some things to get going, some natural Python experience. But again, start with something simple. Make a job to go get CRC errors and pass or fail if they're greater than zero. Even easier. I would recommend you start with half duplex mm-hmm. because you can actually set an interface to half duplex. It's hard to generate errors necessarily, CRC errors. It's hard to force that. Mm -hmm. But something like half duplex on a port or is description empty on the interface? Um, So you're going to need JSON skills. How do I read this this computer code, this structured text called JavaScript object notation? You're going to need to get used to that and, and how to access it and how to test it with Python. So I don't want to say this is 100% you know, like, like there's no real training wheels to get you going with this, but I, for inspiration, let's say I learned Python using PyETS. It was sort of like a self-fulfilling thing for me where mm-hmm. I, I wanted to learn it. I wanted to use this tool. So I learned just enough Python, J-I-P, right? I learned just <laughs> enough Python <laughs> to succeed and get my test bed and my job to run. Right. So um, go to my automated network GitHub. There's a there's a project called Bubu B U B O, and that will get you started. You can spin up a sandbox, run the code without changing it, and then try to read and understand what I've done in the code. That should get you started with PyETS. Okay, that's great. And Bubu, by the way, is the name of the mechanical owl from Clash of the Titans, a movie when I was a kid. The original. It was like the, yes, yes. Yes. So. And it was kind of like their cheesy answer to R2-D2 at the time, I think, right? <laughs> Probably it was, yes. 
but um, it didn't age very well. But I remember that being like the first robot that I encountered <laughs> was this mechanical owl from Greek mythology. So that's where the silly name comes from. Excellent. Well, John, I feel like we're almost at 45 minutes here. We could probably do another 45 because you're so enthusiastic. But any closing thoughts uh, on PyATS and, and how folks might want to approach it? Everything has become a nail to me and PyATS has become my hammer. <laughs> and so I really want you to take the message away that if you've been looking for a way to start with network automation, but don't have traction within your organization because of the risk and danger associated with network automation, you can say, hey, why don't we start with testing? And everybody loves testing and the results of testing and the Socratic method of, right, do I have an error and go get the evidence and prove it? This will lead to more secure networks as we start to test for maybe firewall rules or telnet or, right, different things of that nature. Use your imagination in your tests, but at the same time, you know, um, com complex is good or is okay. But complicated is bad, right? So nice, simple unit tests that anybody can deal with. Um, I wish you the best. And we're going to get into where you can find me. If you want to start your PyTS journey and have any questions, please do contact me. And we're going to talk about how. But I, I try to be open with my knowledge with this tool. I really think that um, particularly for those of us that run Cisco Enterprises, it's both, you know, by Cisco for Cisco. And it's, it's just a remarkable way to adopt network automation and exposing yourself to Python. All right. So yeah, I would recommend, you know, an easy way is to follow John on Twitter. So John, yeah, you mentioned also some other resources. Where can folks find you? What resources would you like to point them to? Go ahead. The stage is yours. Okay, so Twitter, obviously, John underscore Capobianco, um, LinkedIn, and I don't know, just find my name and, and my profile. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel I would love for, if you could subscribe to. I do streaming occasionally more frequently than, than usual, but streaming or videos. I have videos on network automation, on Django, on even Blender and, and ChatGPT. Um, and if you're going to be at Cisco Live, come and track me down. And let's get a selfie together. Fantastic. Well, thank you, John, for joining us. Uh, and thanks to our listeners for joining us for another episode of Full Stack Journey. Your regular host, Scott Lowe, will be back for the next episode. Uh, in the meantime, Full Stack Journey is part of the Packet Pushers podcast network. If you're looking for more nerdy conversations about networking, cloud, Kubernetes, wireless, career development, and more, head on over to packetpushers.net where you can access all of our podcasts and blogs for free. And if you've got feedback, corrections, commentary, even show ideas, or maybe you have something you want to talk about on a show, contact us at packetpushers.net slash FU. The FU is for follow-up. Uh, John, thanks again for being with us and thanks to everyone for listening. Last but not least, remember that too much learning would never be enough.